I don't know about you, but when I read through the Gospels and I look at the things that Jesus said throughout his three-year ministry, I'm always struck at how intuitive he was to the needs of the disciples in the 21st century. Because right now, there's this epidemic that's, that's sweeping the country. It, it goes right into the church, and those people who are far from Christ suffer from the same thing. It's the whole area of being worried and being anxious. Anxiety has gripped our country. Matter of fact, in a recent survey, 2012 survey taken by the uh, Mental Health Commission, they discovered that more than 18% of U.S. adults uh, in, the, in the population between the ages of 18 and 54 suffer from clinical anxiety disorder. And then there's an estimated another 30% who are either misdiagnosed about anxiety disorders or haven't been diagnosed at all. And, and all those people put together in one year they will spend $42 billion on anti-anxiety medication. It's an epidemic. It's, it's the thing that's taking over and crowding us out. And, and, and it's, it's just insane what's happening about it. And so I'm, I'm worried that maybe I'm suffering from anxiety disorder and don't know it. I might need to get checked out. But as we go through this Sermon on the Mount, I, I want to remind you about the people that were gathered there to listen to what Jesus had to say. There were two, two groups of people. One group was the disciples. You remember that. They came and they sat. It says back in chapter 4 that the, the, the crowd, the disciples, gathered around Jesus and sat at his feet. In other words, these are the people, they pulled out their little notepads and they got their pencil ready and they started taking copious notes as Jesus started to preach the greatest message that's ever been given to mankind. They sat there and they took notes and they listened to what Jesus said. They wrote down the things. They said, this is important. They put stars beside stuff and said, this is what I need to apply to my life. The other group was the crowd. They're the people that kind of stand around with their hands in their pockets. They're listening, but they're not listening. And what they're listening for is they're looking for that little pithy statement, that little nugget of wisdom that they can take into their own life so that they can use it at a later date to try and impress somebody, but they're not going to give the credit to Jesus. They'll go, listen, this is a thought I came up with all on my own. And so they use that, and that's the crowd that's there. They're on the outside. They're kind of standing around at the back. They're kind of scratching their heads. They're paying attention, but they're not paying attention. So the question this morning, really, for us is, who are you? Are you one of the disciples that's taking copious notes and saying, if Jesus said this, it must be really important. I need to apply this to my life. I need to bring this about so that I, my life reflects the words that Jesus is saying. Or are you the other part of the crowd? And all, all you really came for is for something to make you feel good so that you can listen to something. You can write down maybe one thing or something else. But if it gets too crazy, like Jesus is really asking you to commit to something, well, that may not necessarily be for you. So you have to make a decision this morning. Who are you going to be? Are you going to be a disciple or are you going to be the crowd? Because as we 
come together and we take a look at what is happening here, Jesus gives this really great teaching in Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. And he even goes to the point, he's talking about in this, in this little section there, he's talking about us being anxious or us worrying. He says, don't even be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. Don't be anxious about those things about your life because your Father in Heaven already knows what you need and He's got that taken care of for you. And, and He goes even as far to say as who, by being anxious, can add one single hour to their life. I mean, isn't that it? We worry about a lot of stuff and we get these anxious thoughts and we're trying to add something to our life. You know, I think people get so anxious that they, they look at all these commercials on television. I mean, I, I got to be honest, I get sucked in sometimes. I buy that, that anti-aging cream for women. You know, I, I want to get rid of the, the turkey neck or whatever they call it, the gobbler, you know, and the ring, you know. I, I, I really want to buy that stuff. But I know that I'd be in trouble if I did. After all, we've got a wedding coming up we have to save for. So you can't do anything fun right now. But what Jesus does in, in, in chapter 6, verses 31 through 34, he summarizes everything he says prior to that from verses 25 to verse 30. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. Now, in these passages, in the verses from 30, um, 25 to 34, Jesus says five times, five times he says, don't be anxious. Don't get worried about stuff. And, and, and we go like, well, how do you do that? How do you live a life free of worry, free of anxiety, so that you're not on medication? You know, today our kids probably worry about more stuff than kids ever worried before. They worry whether they're going to fit in at school. Am I going to be a part of the in crowd or am I going to be stuck with those nerds? Am I going to be a, a, an intelligent person? Are my grades going to reflect the things that I need to know so that I can get into the right college? I've got the pressure from my counselors at school to get all really good grades so I can get a really good college education. My parents are telling me I need to study harder. I need to work harder because I'm not going to be anything if I don't get into college. Then there's the anxiety around testing. That's nothing new. I had testing anxiety my whole life. I still get it when I come home and Lorinda goes, do you remember what you are supposed to do today? And I'm like, oh, another test. And I get anxious about it. And so we have all these anxieties. Young adults, they're worried. They get anxious about the things that are going on in, in order for them to get into college. And then they want to get into a career and on a career path that, that's going to not just pay well, but it's going to be something that they love for the next 30 years. And they're anxious whether it's really going to happen or not. And then they worry about finding a job and keeping a job. Then they find, worry about finding a spouse and keeping a spouse. 
And then they worried about having kids and raising kids that would be respectful, that other people are going to like and want to be around. And they really want those kids to love, grow up to love Jesus. There's this whole anxious thing about being a young adult and having children. And then we get to the point where we're worried about retirement. Am I going to have enough money to retire on? We, we worry about what's going on in our nation because we look at the national debt as it's growing and we know it's going to affect our kids and our grandkids. We take a look at the political landscape and we're worried about that because it looks like things have gone off the rail already and everything's haywire. And how is that going to affect our lives? And so we get worried about what's happening politically in our nation. We worry about our aging parents. We worry about our adult children and their kids, our grandkids. We worry about how does my spiritual life intersect with the reality of my life? Am I living a good enough life to please God? Does what I do spiritually really matter at all for the kingdom of heaven? And so we have all these things that consume us, and we have these moments of great worry that wash over us. And, and at the end of the day, we're just exhausted from all the things that we end up worrying about. And then we worry that we haven't worried about something really important. You know, here's the thing is, is that we have a finite capacity to live, but we have an infinite capacity to worry. We just worry about everything. Worry is relentlessly killing our joy. We wonder if we have enough, if we're going to make it. Maybe we're worried that people, you know, we invite people over for dinner. Are they going to like it? We worry that the bubble is going to bust. You're worried that you're going to disappoint people. You're worried that, you know, worry will get you to say something like, yeah, but what if, what if, rather than, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Worry will say, well, if only, rather than, in all things, give thanks. Worry is sneaky. I think this last week, if Lorinda would have been around uh, me a little bit more often, we tried to avoid each other this last week, like the plague, because we thought each other had the plague. <laughs> so we didn't want to be around each other. And so, you know, we're... We're, we're in the same house and, and texting each other and phone calling each other. Hey, it's time for dinner. You're 10 feet away. I know, but I don't want to get your germs. So I think if she would have been looking at me, she would have seen my, my brow furrowed. She probably would have asked the question something like, what are you worried about? And I would have responded with, I'm worried about this stupid sermon that I'm working on. And then she would have said, what's it about? And I would have said, it's the passage where Jesus says, you're not to worry about anything. And then she would have said, so you're worried about how to teach people that they sh don't need to worry? Yeah, so what's your point? <laughs> right? Because that's the way worry works. And Jesus hates worry. He hates what it does to people. He hates how it makes us small, how it makes us selfish, timid, mean, how it chokes the joy right out of our life, how it kills dreams. It steals our day one hour at a time. Jesus hates worry, but here's the good news. Jesus loves worrying. Jesus 
loves the anxious. He loves them. And that's the best news that we get to hear about anything. Jesus had great compassion for people who worry. It, it may be that anxiety or chronic worry or panic attacks are, are a crushing enemy for you. Maybe other people, even other churches, sometimes make you feel worse because they imply the anxiety is your fault. You know, you ought to have more faith. Or you, at least you should apply the Wyoming saying, suck it up, buttercup. You know, that's what we want to say. Sometimes we're anxious that our phone's going to go off in the middle of the service. pay you later, okay? I was reading from a brilliant Christian uh, thinker named Rosenstock Hussey, and he talks about how to locate our lives in the reality Jesus describes here, because what Jesus is talking about is a life beyond worry, one day at a time. He says, we live at this intersection of the past and the future. All of us have a past, and we remember what is behind us. And we do that either with two ways. We either do it with gratitude, or we do it with regret. That's what we think about in the past. We think of times in our lives back there when we've done some things, and we either regret those moments, or we have great gratitude for the moments in our past. And, and then... He says that we either, we, we remember um, all that stuff, but all of us anticipate also the future. And we either have hope for the future or we're fearful of what the future holds. And, and we live at that intersection. The only place where we can find God is in this moment that's called right now, today. Right now, at this very moment, is where we find God. Regret will try to make you live in the past. Fear will try, fear and anxiety will try to make you live in the future. God calls us to live in this moment. It's his gift to us. He creates us to live in time. Rosenstock also said that when we're also creatures who occupy space. And when it comes to space, we live at another intersection. The intersection of two worlds. Our inner world in our minds and our outer world, the great world that God has created for us, for us to enjoy. In our minds, there is this unceasing flow of thoughts and feelings. Your inner world is an amazing gift. Then we engage in the outer world, the objects of nature, especially people. The whole world is God's gift to us. And we're made by God to dwell in the inner world in peace. May the peace of God guard your hearts and minds. And then we're also supposed to live in the outer world in a state of, of what God's love is. It's, the Bible tells us that God so loved the world. And we're supposed to live in, in these both places, 
in our hearts and in our minds and in the reality of the world. So this is where you live. You live in the intersections of the past and the future. You live in the intersections of our inner world where it meets our outer world. You live at the center of this cross. You live what he calls the cruciform life, a life in the shape of a cross at this intersection, this four-way stop. And, and you can't live in the past and you can't live in the future. You can only live in the place called now, right here. When it comes to another here and now, it's right here. And then we have the next here and now. And then the next one. And we don't manufacture them. They're given to us by God to live this moment, at this moment, with God, at this place. And sometimes what we do is we just take it for granted. But every time, every now that we experience is a miracle. It's a gift. And maybe that's why it's called presence. Now, right now, at this moment, is part of eternity. With God, existence is always now. One time somebody asked Augustine this question. If in the beginning God created heaven and earth, what was God doing before the beginning? At which Augustine replied, he was busy creating a place called hell for people who ask questions like that. <laughs> now he was just joking with them. Because God really does love our questions. He loves that we come and we bring questions to God. That's how God made us. This is how we're to live. We're to remember the past with gratitude, to anticipate the future with hope, to dwell in our hearts with peace, and to engage in our world with love. That's the cross-shaped life, the cruciform life. That's why the most important word in this passage we're looking at this morning is the first word, therefore. Therefore, if you, therefore I tell you, he says, don't be anxious or worried. So what's the therefore, therefore? Don't be worried because worry is unpleasant, although it is. Don't worry, not because it will hurt your body, although it will. Don't worry because we live in a God-made, God-breathed, God-soaked, God-watched, God-loved world. Don't worry because your cross-shaped life is in the hands of God. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. You know, that, that's the greatest thing is, the, is that he feeds and he takes care of the birds of the air. Matter of fact, um, I'm really excited about what's going to happen in the next couple of months because the mountain bluebird is going to show up at my house. And when I see that little beauty sitting out on a branch outside my window, I'm saying in my heart, the cold of winter has left. It is gone, and it's not going to come back until July. <laughs> but I'm excited to see the mountain bluebird. It's one of my favorite blue birds because it really signifies that spring has come. The other birds that you want to take a look at and take notice of are the Canadian geese, also known as the Canadian Air Force. And in the springtime, 
just outside of Indian Outlook, you will find them nesting out there in that little refuge. The mama goose and the daddy goose are going to come together. They're going to make their nest. They're going to have little eggs, and then they're going to hatch these tiny, yellow, fuzzy little goslings. And then the mommy and the daddy, they're going to huddle around with their little goslings, and they're going to lead them, and they're going to teach them, and they're going to show them stuff. But if you go out there and you watch long enough, you'll find out that the daddy goose has his head down in the grass, stuffing his beak full of food. And what does the mama goose do? She's ever vigilant, sacrificing herself for her family, always looking around. It kind of sounds like mommies and daddies we know, right? They stuff their face all day long. The daddies do. And the mamas, well, they'll let you know that they've been sacrificing their life for the children all this time. And that's a picture you get of, of, of nature when you watch these geese. But I'm telling you, if you watch long enough, all of a sudden, you'll see the mama's goose head go down, and she starts stuffing her beak full of food, too. And guess what? Nobody's watching the kitties. They're all on their own, which goes, actually, to my point and the point that Jesus is making. Because the point that he is making is that God continually is at play in delighting and taking care of the smallest creatures in the world, including the sparrows. But see, what happens is, is that in our life, we get this, these anxious thoughts. We let all kinds of things creep into our lives, cause anxiety. And matter of fact, the proverb says this, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. But a good word makes him glad. You see what anxiety does something to our bodies. It hurts who we are, who God created. God did not create us to be anxious people. Now, you've heard me talk about my daughter and her beloved dog, Max, the one that she rescued, you know, four or five years ago. And Max has lived at my house ever since. She's lived in in um, Texas for three and a half years. Then she went on her adventure driving across western Canada and the western United States. Max didn't have a passport, so he had to stay home with us. And, and so we have this neurotic dog called Max. And, and he's, he's a mess. But every time we drive home, Max is like, you guys came back. I can't believe you came back. Are you going to feed me? And you pet him, and he's all excited, and he's looking at you like, man, you guys must really love me. You came back. And then you reach down to pet him again, and he goes, whoa, that was enough, and he takes off running. But then if you go, hey, Max, you want some food? Then he's like, food? You're like, you're going to feed me again? That's the greatest thing ever. Do I get to go somewhere where it's warm? And of course, we take him in the house, and he's warm and happy. And, and, and you see, that's what God is doing with us. He's, he's presenting. Jesus is saying it's like that with God, all of God's creatures. We come to God because God cares deeply about every aspect of our life. We should feel like Max the dog whenever we get to meet with God. We should be like, wow, you're here. 
But unfortunately, we, we kind of don't respond that way. We're like, where you been, God? Don't you know what's going on in my life? You know, um, every time a hummingbird swoops in for nectar, every time a daisy pops out of the ground, do you know what it is? It's God. Every The snow's going to melt, and these little flowers, these wild little flowers are going to pop, and that is God for us. Jesus says something in, in the Gospel of Luke. He says this, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. What I want you to do right now is I want you to take a look at somebody sitting really close to you. Take a look at them. Then I want you to calculate how many sparrows they're worth and you could get for them to trade them in. Someone overhead here said half a sparrow. <laughs> That's naughty. Now you might be tempted to think, I don't see much evidence of God taking care of me. I don't, I don't have the life. I don't have the job. I don't have the home. I don't have the money I want. I rarely have a good day. So let me ask you a question. What does it take for you to have a really good day? Because this is the day that the Lord has made. This day is in between the past and the future. It's right now. It's right with God. You might be, might be going through life thinking, God really doesn't care much about me because I'm stuck in the same old job. I'm driving the same old car. I'm kissing the same old spouse. <laughs> well, let me tell you something about that. Somewhere out there in this world, there is somebody who would love to be working at your job. There is someone in this world out there who would love to be driving your old bucket or brush. Matter of fact, believe it or not, there's actually somebody out there that would like to be kissing your old spouse. <laughs> Guaranteed. But maybe you're not married. Maybe you don't have a job. Maybe you don't even have a car. But it's still true. There's somebody out there. There are people who, if they could be in your place, this would be the greatest day of their life. Here's the thing. We don't see it. The birds do. The flowers do. But not us. There's this wonderful God, Jesus says, which is watching over this world. With this God, rightly fixed in our minds, Jesus says, my advice to you would be, don't worry. Because in light of, etern of the eternal future in the kingdom of God, you have nothing to worry about when it comes to the big picture. Matter of fact, when Peter wrote his first letter to the church, he said this, cast all your anxiety upon him, for he cares for you. Casting your anxiety upon, upon Christ, that's who he is. One of my favorite authors tells this story, which I will relate to you. John Ortberg was talking about a time that he got a phone call from his wife. She had gone down to the fitness center where they were members, and she had taken their one and only child with them. This was a large fitness center in the greater Chicago area. 
And the place was huge because it had weight rooms, it had basketball courts, it had pools, it had a snack area. And his wife, Nancy, when she, she suddenly realized that the little child she took with her was missing in this huge complex. And so she, she went looking right away, looking for their missing child. And then she got the staff involved. And then she gave John a phone call and said, our child's missing here at the complex and I can't find him anywhere. And John says, should I come? She says, well, I'll let you know in a couple minutes. A couple minutes later, she called back up and she said, John, you better come right now. I can't find him. He's gone. He, he, but but uh, we're looking. And so John said, okay, I'm coming. I'll be right there. And he made a promise to himself as he was driving to the fitness center because he thought oftentimes these scenarios have a really good ending because they find the child kind of hunkered down doing something. And so he says, if he shows up and there are no police cars with flashing lights, then he's not going to get worried. He came around the corner and pulled into the parking lot, and there were two police cars with flashing lights. At that point, he said, I decided it was time to panic, to get really worried. And so he went, and he found the whole, the whole complex searching for their child with the police officers. And they looked everywhere, under everything. And finally, Nancy went downstairs, and when she went downstairs, she saw against the wall a extra large, really big, stuffy kind of chair. And you couldn't really see much on that chair until you got right up close to it and you peeked up, and there, curled up in the back of the chair, was their child. And Nancy said, Honey, I'm so glad I found you. Aren't you scared? Aren't you just frightened? Because you've been lost this whole time. And the little child looked at her mom and said, I wasn't lost. I always knew right where I was. And in that moment, John said he experienced profound gratitude for two blessings. One was just life, the fact that his child was alive and safe. And the other one, he says it like this, is that going forward from that time into the future, whenever I would mess up as a parent, when Nancy would call me on it, I had something to use against Nancy for the rest of her life because he would say, you lost our child. <laughs> Here's Jesus' teaching. You don't need to be nervous. You're sitting in an overstuffed chair in God's universe. I don't know if you remember the little song that says, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. He has his eye on the sparrow. And by the way, they're sold five for two pennies. When Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians church, he addressed this issue of anxiety. He said, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God will surpass all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, ultimately, eternally, we will be all right. Everything's going to be okay. Your need for a good future was placed in you to lead you to the God who alone holds the future in his hands. This is what Jesus says. Now, believe it or not, this is his claim. Things are not just better than you think. They are infinitely better than you think. 
things are not just are not going to just turn out really well. They will turn out indescribably, inconceivably well. Pain, suffering, injustice, and death will not just be redeemed. They will be gloriously, creatively redeemed. Redeemed without exception. Now, if you're ready to give life beyond worry a try, he has an invitation for you. It's not don't worry because that just crushes the human spirit. How You can't try harder not to worry. By the way, you know that um, Lent is coming up. It's going to be on the 6th of March. And I told you a couple weeks ago when I was talking about fasting that I was going to give up something for Lent. I hate to tell you this, but I'm going to give up desserts. That means pie, ice cream, cinnamon rolls. Lord have mercy. That means chocolate. That means sugar of, unless it's natural sugar, you know, like in fruit and vegetables and in soda. I'm giving that up for 40 days. And Lorinda says to me, what should I give up for 40 days? And I said, I think you should give up worry for 40 days. And she says, you're an idiot. <laughs> Maybe not quite in those terms. It's a little more loving than that. But her point was, it's going to be way easier to give up sugar that you're addicted to than to give up worry because you can't try harder not to worry. It just doesn't work that way. And so what God has done, what Jesus has done, he says, listen, I'm going to give you the, the absolute ability to, to deal with worry, to live beyond it. He's given us this invitation. He doesn't want us to try harder. And by the way, worry is not a sin. I don't know if somebody might tell you that worry is a sin. I'm going to tell you that I think worry leads to sin, but I don't think worry itself is sin because, because it, it, there's all kinds of ways that we've created to sin. And, and people may choose to disobey God with greed, lust, pride, pride, and deceit, but I don't know anybody that says, I'm going to defy you, God, so I can fill my day with chronic anxiety, panic, and despair. <laughs> people just don't do that. Matter of fact, the psalmist, he says this about, you know, how God steps into our lives to help us with this stuff. He says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. That's where worry, anxiety started with our fears. What are we afraid of? And so if you worry with, if you wrestle with worry, don't add guilt to it. What Jesus does is he gives us this invitation. Here is the remedy for us to deal with anxiety and worry in our lives. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do you see that? Jesus is talking about all the things that we can worry about in our lives. And he says, don't get your life caught up on worrying about all the externals, all those other things. Don't worry about that stuff. You want to deal with your worry? You want to get your mind set in the right place? Seek God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. And that's where our hearts 
are redeemed. We learn then the character of God. We find the goodness of God's shape in our lives. We study God. We love God. We follow God. We serve God. We think about God. We get preoccupied with God. We, we surrender our lives to God. We give like God gives. We find him in these moments, the right now, here where we're living, between the past and the future. We see him in the faces of every person we meet. We hear him in everybody's voice. We watch him at work with the birds and the flowers. We arrange our strategy for life around this remarkable opportunity to follow Jesus. Jesus says here and elsewhere in the Bible, do this one day at a time. We talked about this a few weeks ago where we were talking about the Lord's Prayer because Jesus says, do this one, one day at a time. Give us this day our daily bread. That's living with God in mind one day at a time. Live at the center of the cross right now. Not yesterday and not tomorrow, right now. See, it's when we look into the future that we get overwhelmed. We don't really know the future. We project our thoughts on it. We think the answer to anxiety is that we have to have less bad stuff happen to us. And sometimes I th people think, if I become a Christian and follow Jesus, then God is supposed to make sure I'm protected from bad things. As long as I believe hard enough, then his job is to make sure I'm protected. Jesus doesn't say that anywhere. And he, he does not say, don't worry about tomorrow because if you have enough faith tomorrow everything is going to be good that's not what jesus says says what he says is therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own here's jesus prediction trouble when today what about tomorrow trouble then too you should probably turn to the person close to you and say trouble today trouble tomorrow some of you don't believe that. Just wait till tomorrow. Now, what do we do about that? What, we, what happens with all those horrible things that have happened in our past? Because I know some of you have had some really bad, difficult things come in, and they still haunt your present, and they'll continue to haunt your future. So what do we do with those things in the past? Well, what we don't do is we don't minimize them. They really happen. And we don't deny them. And we don't over-spiritualize them. What we do is we protest them. We say, that was a bad thing. That should never have happened. I don't want it to ever happen to anybody else ever again. And then we lament. We're sorry for those things that happened to us and to other people. And we recognize them. And we grieve them. Matter of fact, you know, one of the people that probably suffered more than any of us will ever suffer is the Apostle Paul. Because he was whipped, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked. He, I mean, he had all kinds of horrible things happen to him. And in all those things that were happening to him, God also gave him something that was crippling in his life. We don't know what it was. The Bible doesn't tell us what it was. But what we do know is that Paul says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, 
He is flawed. That is how we face up to the reality of anxiety and worry within our life. God's grace is sufficient to get me through all of it. I just need to step up and trust him, even when I can't see what he's doing, even when I don't know what's happening. You may think that nothing's going on, that God isn't doing anything. It's like walking up and looking at the calmness of a lake on a hot summer day, and you look out across that lake, and you don't see any activity. There's not even a slight little ripple on the top of the lake because there's no wind. There's nothing moving it. You don't see any bugs landing on it. You don't see any fish coming up and eating on it. You see nothing of what's going on on top of the lake. But yet, if you were to take a look underneath the lake, under the surface of the lake, there is more activity that's going on under that lake than you would ever see on the top of the lake. That's the way God works in our lives. Where it seems like God is not actively involved in our life, that's because all we're doing is seeing what he's doing on the surface. But when in reality, beneath the surface, there's a whole lot that God's doing that we never see. And we just need to learn to be patient and show faith and trust with God. Let me close with a few thoughts here. The great researcher on gratitude in our day is a man named Robert Emmon. He teaches at the University of California, Davis. And he happens to be a devout, committed follower of Jesus. He talks about what he calls the redemptive twist. Oddly enough, very often the seasons that are the most painful when we go through them end up creating community, connection, growth, or meaning for which we are the most thankful. If we live a cruciform life, our past is not finished yet. What happens is in the future, the what happens is in the future can change the way that we understand our past. So what is going to happen in the future can change the way you view your past. Let me give you a really good example right out of the Bible for this. It was on a Friday that the cross entered the consciousness of the world in a new way because Jesus, the Savior, was hung on it. For his friends on that Friday, it was the worst day of their lives. On the next day, Saturday, that Friday was still awful. Then came Sunday, Easter Sunday. What happened on Sunday transformed forever the way they understood Friday. On Sunday, tragic Friday, awful Friday, God-awful Friday became good Friday. On Sunday, human history got divided into two sections, B.C. before Christ and A.D. and what happened after Christ. What we know is that our future, where we have our hope, has the ability to transform the way we think about our past. And so now we are at the intersection of our lives, of the past and the future, of our inner life and the outer world. And Jesus says, I want you to live at that intersection in all four quadrants at the same time right now with me. You probably have heard the, the, the serenity prayer, and it says this so well. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. But then there's the longer version, and it goes on saying this, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, 
accepting hardship as the pathway to peace. God said this to Isaiah. He said, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. And I want you to know this, that there are a number of things that we practically step into to deal with our worry and anxiety. So let me just quickly run off a few things that you can do to add to your life to help you deal with anxiety. So the first one is this. More, you get more anxious when you are sleep, uh, sleep deprived. You need to get eight to nine hours of sleep a day. When you get eight to nine hours of sleep a day, you will find anxiety level dropping significantly in your life. You need to be more realistic about your life. Number two, many people are worried and anxious about events that will actually, actually never occur or happen in their life. They worry about things that they don't know anything about, and so what you need to do is relax, focus on today, this moment, and take life one day at a time. The second thing, or the third thing that some of you need to do is you need to listen to relaxing, soothing worship music. Not all day, but when you start to feel anxious, just turn on Caleb, turn on Pandora, and listen to what happens when God steps in. You will leave your worries and your fears behind. The next one. Some of you are just way too serious. <laughs> For Pete's sakes, have some fun in your life. This is a pastor says this. I'm going to check up on you. Your job this next week is to have Three major fun events in the next seven days, okay? And you're all going to get caned if you don't do it. The beatings will continue until morale improves. All right, next, you need to talk to somebody. You need to find someone who you can share the anxieties of your life. And let me say this, not your spouse. They don't need to carry that stuff. You need to find a good guy friend if you're a guy. You need to find a good girlfriend if you're a girl. And you need to sit down and say, here are the anxious things in my life. These are the things that consume my mind. These are the things that I'm worrying about. I need to dump this somewhere. Write it out on a list and give it to them. And have them pray for it. They're not there to fix it. They're there to listen to it. And by the way, I'm not that guy for you either. All right? Let's just get that clear. The next thing is you need to get exercise. <laughs> I know. It's a killer. You need to get out and get some kind of exercise 20 minutes a day. If it's walking around the block for 20 minutes, get out and walk 20 minutes. But exercise gets the endorphins, gets everything flowing, and it clears your mind, gives you a place to think, gives you out in, in enjoying what God has for you. And then the last thing is just simply this. Some of you may need to get professional help. That's the reality. There are people who have chronic issues, and you need to find some really good, and again, I am not the guy for that. I can point you to the right people. I can get you connected with the right people that will help you with your anxiety, but you need to get it under control. 
And then the last thing is make sure that you always do what the Bible says. Be anxious about nothing but in prayer and supplication. Make those requests known to God. Amen? We're going to do something a little bit different. In a minute, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. But when the worship team comes up to lead us in our exaltation of God, we're going to make some declarations about who God is in our lives in just a couple of minutes. If you suffer from anxious, worrisome thoughts, they've got a grip on you right now. Fred and Mary and some, other, some of our other uh, leaders are going to be back at the coffee bar. We've been having you come to the front for prayer. And I, I, I watch. I've been up here. You know, it's kind of like, how can I pray for you? What? And then you look up at the band and you go, Matt, bring it down. I can't hear him. So, you know, we want to cut some anxiety about, out of your life. So instead of you up here anxiously, you know, yelling what your problem is and then the band pauses and then the whole church hears what your problem is, we don't want that to happen. What we do want to do is we want to give you an opportunity because prayer is the key for the success over anxiety and worry in your life. And so if you need prayer, we want you, when the music starts, people are going to stand, we want you just to slip out, make your way back over to the coffee bar area. There will be people there waiting to pray with you and for you. Amen? Our Father, we thank you this morning that your words are so practical for our, our lives. And, and we often forget that you're with us. We often forget what you're like, that you have our best in mind. We just want you to forgive us for the times where we've forgotten about you and we've tried to do this on our own. We need to get to know you better. and We need to know your word better, your promises that help us in our time of need, help us in every aspect of our life, to help us deal with our anxiety so that we can live one day at a time. Help us not to worry about tomorrow, but instead to focus our attention on who you are and what you have for us in our lives right now. We want to trust your promises more than we trust anybody else. We want your care for us more than we want the care of anybody else. And so we ask you to come and work in our hearts. Help us to unload our anxieties, our burdens, our fears to you. In Jesus' name, amen.